Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the 515th episode of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll get you American excuse me, an American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. Get your daily reading uh, from me now on jerseysportingnews.com. Yes, it is mostly going to be covering the New York Red Bulls. Uh, I will still have my blog up regardless of anything U.S. Men's National Team news and U.S. Open Cup, but uh, anything Red Bull related is now jerseysportingnews.com, so I just want to pass that along to everyone uh, today. Um, In the Olympics, U.S. Women's National Team had a loss in their opening match, uh, a win in their second match. Let me just say this. And I want to talk to everyone that supports the U.S. men's and women's national team, okay? Because to me, this is a trend that has to stop. As I have said many, many times in the past, I understand how American soccer fans believe that Any American player playing in MLS is not worth their time. I understand where you guys are coming from because you think MLS is not a league for us. And that's fine. You have your opinions, and that's understandable. You have your opinions. And while I will be honest and say I don't share in those opinions, but I will allow you to have your opinions. Now, obviously, it's not what I say. My word is not law. If that's your belief, then so be it. But when it comes to the U.S. men's national team and the building of a roster and the hope that players get to play for some of the best teams in the world in Europe. Where are they going to get their minutes? I am asking a legitimate question to those of you that support the U.S. men's national team. Where do you believe they should get their minutes are not going to be in professional soccer? You have to be very, very lucky to get scouted by some of these, these big teams in England, in Spain, in Italy, in Germany to say, I want that player on my club. And sometimes you're not going to be lucky 
if the right scout does not come to your town, to your county, to your city, to the park, to your state. You know, I think we should all be grateful and lucky that both Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney, also now who just exploded in the Bundesliga for Schalke, Matthew Hoppe, that they got recognized and were brought over. Excuse me. Because if these players in Pulisic, McKenney, and Hoppe do not get looked at by those respective scouts from Europe, then they don't come over. They don't get bothered to come over. Yes, they have great potential. They have great ability. We know about Christian's father, who has been in the U.S. soccer system for a very, very long time. And for him to be contacted, I believe, from a scout, or for him to go into the scouting department with Borussia Dortmund to tell them, hey, listen, check out my son. We wouldn't be having him in Europe in the first place. You want to say MLS is not worth the time, and that's fine. That's your opinion, and that's okay. Oh, I've never heard of Tyler Adams until he was in Europe. Well, then that's your fault. That is your fault, your doing, and that is the shame of the situation. Every time I go on the internet and I read the comments from many people that have belief in the national team, and I have belief in the national team, but at the same time, it's once again, you know, you worry a little bit because of certain managers that are not doing their job. And while so far, Burhalter for me, is two for four with this Gold Cup roster. There was a conversation on Twitter where I, I'm not saying I was appalled, but let's just say that I was surprised to hear the outcome of an answer. Now, for those of you that are New York Red Bull supporters, you listen to Mark Fishkin from Seeing Red Podcast. You listen to him, you watch him and everything, and I'll be moving there sometime soon. Not sure when, but sometime soon I will be. Into the video blogging shows. It will happen. But anyway, when Greg Berhalter made this roster, for this 2021 Gold Cup tournament. The majority of the roster was from MLS. You've had a few here and there coming from Europe, like Matthew Hoppe, Shaq Moore, and those that are inspiring to go to Europe themselves. 
These players have never played with each other at all on an international competition, whether it be the World Cup itself, the FIFA World Cup, or the CONCACAF Gold Cup. His comment was, the bar is high enough for me because they went to the semifinals in this Gold Cup competition. And you know what? The expectations that some of you have for this Gold Cup team are probably higher than normal. Now, let me say that, yes, I will always believe in the American player that they will do well. But this roster, at before even the start of the Gold Cup, I'll admit, I was hoping they'd make a good long run. And so did he. And then there was another USA fan who commented and responded to that tweet. And he said, You're, the bar you gave is too low. No, it's not. See, once again, people have to understand. And I'm not saying this because I want to sound so smart. I'm saying this because when have any of these players have played together on a national team for how many games and not counting the ones that were in the friendly against Costa Rica after the CONCACAF Nations League final? I didn't see Brendan Aronson on this national team. You've seen some veterans like Jossi Zardes, Christian Roldan. Matt Turner has only been in one friendly, and that was at the end of last year down in Fort Lauderdale at the Dry Pink Stadium, at the home of Inter-Miami for now. That was his only match until he was in this Gold Cup tournament. Mexico, who had two friendlies at least, or a friendly at least, before the Gold Cup tournament started, and yet they won seven out of a full nine points. And the USA had no friendly whatsoever. And even though they got nine out of nine, Two out of the three group stage matches was not a convincing performance. And what you saw last night against Jamaica at AT&T Stadium at the home of the Dallas Cowboys, you saw them attacking, doing well, and finding ways to get shots off. And that performance matched the 1-0 victory result that they got against Jamaica. And let me just give you guys fair warning. You're going to see more of that when we get to World Cup qualifying in about two months. Because that's what Jamaica is going to do to, to you, to the U.S., and to everyone else. Because there is no one on this roster right now playing from the CONCACAF Nations League to the Gold Cup. You have to understand this Gold Cup that was coming was always going to be considered 
who are the next players coming to the national team? And with playing three games in one week, which one of these players will be available to play either on a Wednesday, excuse me, on a Thursday, on a Sunday, and or on a Tuesday? Because you are not going to use Pulisic, you're not going to use McKenney, Reyna, Sibichu, even possibly Horvath, and or Stefan, three consecutive matches within a span of a week. It's not going to happen. You need to understand that these players are going to be truly tested. If you want to see Pulisic play, it's going to be the first match, which will be on a Thursday. He'll probably start that one. And then he'll probably get subbed out somewhere in the second half, either after the hour mark or maybe just before it, depending on how the game is going. You will have him rested for the next game, which is on Sunday, and then he'll be playing again on Wednesday. Or he'll just come on as a substitute in the second game, and then he'll be going full out on the third game. The only time it's going to be regular, and we're not going to have to worry about three games in a row or three games within a week, will be in November when we only have two match days. You have to understand, this is not typical World Cup qualification. Because of the coronavirus, this is going to be something different. They are not robots. They are not cyborgs. This is not the Terminator. They're flesh and blood like all of us are. There's going to be a couple of losses here and there on the road, and you hope it will be majority on the road. Get some results if you can, but I'm giving you the fair warning right now. This is going to be a different animal when we get to the octagon. This will be a different animal when it comes to FIFA World Cup qualification in this final round of CONCACAF. Either understand it and recognize it or lose your head for no reason whatsoever. It's time to just take it easy, go game by game, and just relax and allow them to make their ideas work. That's all I'm asking for. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I've got a great show for you tonight. First things first, quarter interview with uh, Jason Longshore from 92.9 FM The Game on the sacking of Gabriel Heinze as manager of Atlanta United. And then we go to Michael Batista for Open Cup uh, information. And then Chris Campbell on the NYCFC stadium situation. So first things first, Jason Longshore in our quarter interview. Here he is. And welcome back to the American Soccer Show. This is Daniel Feuerstein. Joining me right now, this gentleman is the radio analyst on 92.9 FM, The Game, in Atlanta, Georgia, covering at the Atlanta United. It is, of course, Jason Longshore joining me on the show today as Gabriel Heinze was sacked after his time was only 13 matches in league play for Atlanta United. Jay, welcome back to the show, and how are you doing down in Atlanta? Hey, thanks for having me back on. It's been a little hectic down here in Atlanta lately. 
And I don't blame him whatsoever. So, I, I mean, you've had Tata Martino for two years. And then he goes off to be the manager of Mexico. You had uh, DeBoer for about, I would say, a season and a half. And both men were able to bring trophies to Atlanta. And then after the time of an assistant, or should I say an interim manager, you bring over uh, Argentinian national team player Gabriel Heinze. And after 13 years, excuse me, 13 games, I shouldn't say 13 years, he just got here. Um, after 13 games, <laughs> um, he gets sacked after a very poor start to this MLS season. Why the quick hook so uh, quickly? It's a, it's a good question, and uh, I don't know if we really have all the answers, but connecting some of the dots, um, it feels like it is much more about the management side and style of Gabriel Heinze as opposed to the training sessions, as opposed to the tactics, as even opposed to the results, even opposed to the... The, the issue that he had with Joseph Martinez, who was not training with the team for a period of time. It really feels like it was more about the management style. And I think what's really interesting about this one is if you take the last three games, and one of those is Gabriel Heinze's, two of those are Rob Valentino, the interim manager for Atlanta United, it's kind of been the feeling that I've had most of the season. I felt like this team is close. I feel like this team does a lot of things well. I feel like they defend well as a whole. Um, but they can't score goals. And when you're not scoring goals, like other things start to jump into the spotlight. And that's been the issue for Heinze. It's been the issue these last two games. And, you know, I, I don't really know how to fix it immediately um, because even these last three games chances are being created you know it's it's been over 40 shots in the last two games and I believe off the top of my head 14 on goal in the last two games and one goal to show for it that's a lot that's being produced with, with nothing to show for it and frustrating and I think the frustration with maybe the, the other things before these last two with Gabriel Heinze is what really came to the fore, but you know, it ultimately wasn't the right fit. And if the club had made the decision that it's not the right fit, you have to find the right fit quickly because there's still over half of the season left. This team has the talent to be a playoff team. They should be a playoff team, and right now they're not a playoff team. No, they're not a playoff team, and at the moment they're in uh, deep trouble. And I know it's only been a short history so far with Atlanta United, but uh, I mean, I would have to say, you know, since the departure of Tata Martino, and like I've said, um, DeBoer has had some success, but he left due to being homesick. Um, what is the feeling around Atlanta right now with the way management has handled the uh, the manager situation? Yeah, it's a tricky one because a lot of people would tell you that Frank DeBoer's time was a failure as a whole, and, and I'll disagree with that. I think 2019 was a team that was third in the, the league as a whole in the regular season, was a team that reached the Eastern Conference Final and was 
one game away from hosting MLS Cup for the second straight year. Uh, I feel like it's a team that would have been favored in that match if they'd gotten the opportunity. They, they had a 1-0 lead, and Joseph Martinez at the penalty spot early in the Eastern Conference Final, and everything turned. Uh, there's an Open Cup trophy that Frank DeBoer earned, a Campiones Cup, which is yeah, one game, but it was still another trophy added to the case. And 2019 was not a, a failure by any stretch. Uh, I believe there's a little bit of revisionist history on that from some folks. But 2020, it fell apart. And honestly, it fell apart when Joseph Martinez was injured. Uh, I think going into 2020, there was a very different feel than there was after that match in Nashville on opening night in the MLS, MLS season. And they haven't really found a way to get past that. And that's been the, the, the craziest thing about this is ever since then, the attack has lacked confidence, and that was never an issue before that injury with Joseph Martinez. And, and this has kind of permeated through the group to where, you know, go back to 2017, 18, and 19. This was a team that scored a lot of goals. This was a team that was constantly a threat in the attack, a team that, that scared defenses around the league. And right now, teams come in or teams host Atlanta and are comfortable sitting, defending, and countering knowing that, that Atlanta's not really a big threat in the attack right now, and they'll draw them out and hit them on the break. And until Atlanta starts scoring goals again, it's going to be an issue for, for any manager, and it's going to be an issue for you know the team to overcome. I mean, I know you got Miles Robinson playing for the United States right now in the Gold Cup, and so far he's done an amazing job on that back line, especially yeah, yeah. in the win over Jamaica where he's just been amazing and we all believe and I know you believe he'll be a future national team backliner and we'll see what happens in September when World Cup qualifying begins for the octagonal but are they really missing some key players I know either due to injury or due to national team call up at this point in time? You know, I, I, if they were giving up a lot of goals, I'd be more worried about the guys that are away on the, the U.S. national team. But defensively, even these last three, they've only conceded three goals. It's been one goal a game, and they've lost two of them. Uh, Miles Robinson is a huge loss at any point because he's just that good, and he's been outstanding this year. But luckily, this is a team that went out and grabbed Alan Franco from Independiente. Uh, very talented player, a, a guy that... I think it gives you a little bit different feel than what Robinson does and what Anton Walks does. I think Anton Walks is also a very you know, underrated, underappreciated player. He's wearing the captain's armband right now, and he's, he's really providing a lot of leadership. Feels like a guy that's been around for a long time because he was here in 2017, but he's only 24 years old. Walks has shown that he's a starter at this level. And then George Campbell from the academy, uh, played with Atlanta United 2, homegrown player who has had to play here a, a decent bit lately, and Campbell has stepped up and performed well. Center back depth is good. Uh, Ronald Hernandez has emerged on the left side, replacing George Bellow lately, and uh, as a, a player, a Venezuelan national team player, scored a goal in the Copa America, he got a goal in Cincinnati that, that rescued a point. He's been effective playing on the left side. Alec Kahn's been good in goal um, in place of Brad Gazan. Ezekiel Barco not having him and not having his creativity has hurt because that's the area that I, I just keep coming back to when, when we, whenever I'm talking with anybody about Atlanta United is for a while there it was they needed to create better chances. Now I feel like that part's even been solved. Now they just have to finish chances. And 
You know, we'll take one of those goals like Miami got against Philadelphia. We'll take a mistake like that. We'll take a mistake like we saw with, with Colorado and Real Salt Lake's goal against them. One of those would be really nice rather than, than Kenneth Vermeer having a game of his life on Wednesday at TQL Stadium. If I can ask you this, obviously, and we want to go back to the situation with Joseph Martinez, obviously. Uh, Venezuelan and Argentinian are going to bump heads, obviously, but that's neither here nor there. But, <laughs> but in all honesty, you know, Joseph Martinez is really the shining star uh, when it comes to goal scoring for Atlanta United. And do you feel that the bumping of his head with Heinze has been the biggest spotlight in this whole situation? I, I feel like it's been the biggest spotlight because it's the the issue that will will get the headlines going and it'll get the, the buzz. But I think the biggest issue with the team at the moment is, is Joseph coming off of an ACL injury hasn't been like Joseph for a while. He hasn't been like that, honestly, since the Motagua series before he was injured. Um, you know, he was absent in 2020 after that, and then he's worked his way back in the season, and I thought it took him a while, but before the international break, he was starting to to show some of that timing that made Joseph Martinez a lead in this league. But then he goes on international duty with Venezuela, and he played in two World Cup qualifiers, scored a goal that was called back due to VAR, and then tested positive for COVID and missed the Copa America wasn't able to even train and rejoin the team until the last couple of days before the last game, and they ruled him out of that with muscular discomfort because he was coming back from being in a quarantine period where he wasn't able to train. Then he comes back to Atlanta, and he's not where he was when he left. So now it's almost like you're not quite starting over, but you're you're trying to rebuild his fitness, rebuild his sharpness more than anything. Timing is the biggest issue that I'm seeing. And I hope that it comes quickly. What I'll give Joseph a ton of credit for is he's finding other ways to contribute. And he's he's dropping into the midfield a little bit and trying to to play one-twos and combine with others and create opportunities. He created three chances uh, against Columbus. These are good things to see. He's trying to find ways to bridge that gap until, you know, he's, he's getting those goals. But until somebody's getting those goals, it's going to be a challenge for Atlanta United. Yeah, I agree with you there. So, obviously, when Carlos Bocanegra and Darren Yields had their um, press conference with the Atlanta media, did you get a sense of disappointment from them? What was their facial expressions like? I mean, if it's the same as they always have, you know, a dead poker face, okay, I can understand that. But you would have to think that they're feeling right now um, a lot of heat. Maybe it's not showing in the press, but... You know, what is Arthur Blank feeling right now? You know, what's his opinions right now? What do you think is going on in your mind in the front office, uh, especially for their jobs right now? I'm not saying I don't believe they're going to get sacked, but we don't know what's on the mind of Arthur Blank. What do you think is going on over there? Yeah, that's the challenge right now because the pressure is on. And, and Dan and Carlos both said that at the media availability. I do think they were disappointed because, you know, you go back to when Gabriel Heinze was hired, I do not remember anyone in American soccer circles or Argentine soccer circles who were worried about the move. 
you know, everybody was very positive. Everybody was, I mean, a, a lot of people were surprised that it happened. A lot of people were, you know, very high on, on Gabriel Heinze. Um, I thought it would take time. I thought he'd need some patience. And I think he would have gotten it if not for some of the other things. Something that Darian Carlos mentioned multiple times in that media availability is stakeholders. And, and not just, you know, fans, but fans are part of it. Uh, the media is part of it. The players are part of it. And I think it hints at just some things that look, we've seen change since Gabriel Heinze is no longer with the team. We've seen you know, more footage from training sessions being shown by the team's digital staff. We're seeing you know, more kind of get-to-know-you things about this group of players. Um, we're seeing more media availability in general. And I think these are things that in this league are really important. And, you know, I know coming in, I knew that Gabriel Heinze wasn't somebody who was going to enjoy that side of the job. But to be at, at big clubs, and, and Atlanta United's a big club, to be at clubs like this with a lot of different stakeholders, I think it's something that he's going to have to get accustomed to. And I think the disappointment that, that Darren and Carlos had was that there was a lack of adjustment from Gabriel Heinze and his staff to, you know, understanding that, yes, we want you to work in and develop the soccer the way you want to work. That's why we brought you here. But we also need an understanding of the, the environment and the culture that you're in here and maybe a little more willingness to, to talk to people and, and to be that kind of a face at times. And... You know, if, if you can't get there, again, you have to make that decision sooner rather than later, and I think the club did. But I, I totally agree with you. I think they were disappointed because they expected this move to work just like most people expected this move to work. Yeah, I agree with you there. This is Jason Longshore from 92.9 FM, The Game, radio analyst of Atlanta United Matches. Jay, as always, I appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me on. And once again, that's Jason Longshore from 92.9 FM, The Game, as we are uh, interested to hear what happened, ready for that sacking, of course. And it's just one of those things that it had to happen. Nothing big was happening for them, and... uh, then what are you going to do? But anyway, as we move on here, the 2021 U.S. Open Cup has been canceled. Unfortunately, second straight cancellation of the tournament, but U.S. soccer is ready to make the move for a full tournament for next year. Joining me to discuss this, of course, my colleague over at not just Red Bull Nation, NewYorkSportsNation.com, but he also does cover the Open Cup for the cup.us with Josh Hakala and that is Michael Batista. Michael, welcome back and how are you? Uh, I'm doing good, Daniel. How are you doing? Doing very well. Thank you very much. Um I have to admit I am a little bit sad that whatever Open Cup tournament we were supposed to get this year did not get off the ground. The first round or whatever first round they were going to give just never got off the ground. We all know it's still the pandemic situation, and I understand. But for them to cancel the entire tournament again, 
Um, did you find it frustrating? Did you understand the situation once again? Or did you feel that there was a possibility that this tournament could have kicked off for 2021? Well, I think after you have the Band-Aid ripped off last year where it breaks the streak, it makes it a little bit easier to pallet this year. And between you and I, I think like you, might, I think uh, yourself and I are in the minority of people who are very upset that this tournament didn't happen in the form that they presented with us, this abbreviated uh, best of uh, each league sort of format. I thought it was going to be a very fun idea as a one-off i thought that this is a great opportunity for a lower division side to go all the way i don't care if it has an asterisk it would be amazing and i think teams like detroit city fc who finished nisa undefeated in the spring and you know they haven't seemed to have lost a game since the fall they could have been a real troublemaker for some of these mls teams uh no matter what uh but overall it does make sense of why they had to do it because you have the pandemic, like you said, we've seen plenty of players, you know, have to be taken off squads because of, uh, because of positive tests. We've seen games, uh, we, we, we've seen like the schedule be condensed and moved around a ton and you never know what's going to happen. So adding in a couple more games, it, it's doable, but I understand them saying, you know what, let's just take one more year we can test out the waters with the early rounds and then we can get the MLS teams in once we have the format down and we make sure everything's going according to plan. I think it makes sense, but it still hurts. Oh, absolutely. It does hurt. I mean, look, you're a fan of the tournament. I'm a fan of the tournament. Everyone loves the tournament. We want to see someone get crowned the national champion of American soccer from the opening round all the way to the final. And while this situation is Tough to swallow once again. I think I, you know, we we both agree. Uh, it, it's it's better to just play it safe and make sure that we're going to get a full tournament in 2022. I did talk with Andrew Wildgus on the NPSL Soccer Show uh, in my recorded interview with him. I asked him about you know how tough it was for Atlantic City FC, who did qualify for 2020, and they just could not get their matches in. They couldn't even play their first round. And so for them to wipe out everything from 2020 and this season, it is understandable. And once again, you know, look, we understand the situation. Got to make sure that everything will go right and healthy and move forward to 2022, and uh, I'm expecting a great tournament next year. What's your thoughts? Oh, I'm also expecting a great tournament, and I think what you said before about, like, we understand it. It's kind of going at it from a, you know, there's a logistical perspective, and then there's the passion perspective. And me and you both follow teams like Louisiana Crew, uh, Newtown Pride FC, uh, Atlantic City FC, you just mentioned them. The teams that qualified as open division teams, they aren't automatically in the tournament. Uh, for how many thing, for how many people complain about it, that's the format we have in place right now. And to have those teams told, well, we, you were going to be in 2021. 2021 not only was a cut down, eventually didn't happen. So we, they have to go through that whole format again to try and get in to have their open cup moments. And I, I do truly feel bad for them. 
That being said, and I, I hate saying that right after that, is I think 2022 is going to be a fantastic tournament. And one of the reasons why is that uh, on the cup.us, something that we did a couple of days before U.S. soccer announced the official cancellation was that we put out the information that, oh, open division local qualifying is happening, and here's how you sign up, here's how much it costs, and uh, who you have to send the, the, the check to. There's no digital payments. For some reason, U.S. soccer, we can use VAR, but we have to send fiscal checks in the mail. I don't know why. But there was so much uh, appreciation. Uh, there was so much like enthusiasm and excitement, and teams saying, asking their fans, "Should we do this? You know, do we want to try and do it?" And that just makes me happy that local qualifying teams, the lower division teams, they're like they're coming out of this, and and you still have the enthusiasm saying, "Yeah, I want to. We can win three games in a row, and then we can play a PDL or a NPSL side, and then maybe a USL League One side." And then maybe a championship side, and then maybe an MLS side. And that's I, – I, I'm you don't understand how happy I am to see that again. You're happy? I'm ecstatic. I'm so happy. And I agree with you, Michael, to see the uh, qualification rounds for those semi-pro teams below the professional level finally getting an opportunity to go out and earning their spots for that opening round draw uh, that which, of course, I have all the information here as well uh, in front of me uh, to see. And as I understand it, it's going to be over, it possibly over 100 sides to qualify for the Open Cup. It's not just the MLS clubs, the USL clubs that are not part of two teams that are owned by MLS sides, even in championship and League One, what's going to happen in League Two, NPSL, NISA. Um, we're going to see the lower, lower levels. Once again, U.S. Adult Soccer Association, U.S. Club Soccer, USSSA. Um, I'm excited for what next year is going to be. And I, even I have said to everyone, do not fret because we all know U.S. soccer understands that they want to have everyone get involved in the tournament. The tournament will be back in full in 2022. And seeing the amount in the scheduling of this tournament for next year for the Open Cup, um, the one great thing about it is that there will be no interference with either World Cup qualification, the Gold Cup, or any other tournament involving the U.S. men's or women's national team for this summer because the World Cup will be later on in November and December in 2022. Yeah, no, it's, it's a really great feeling to just have the tournament. The past few years, um, it just seems like there's always something in the way. There's always that big gap between games. It's like you have – week one you have round one happens then you have round two happen and then there's kind of like a little dip and then round three and then after round four it's just kind of like it's whenever they can fit it in and this year there's a bit more of a it's a little bit more streamlined it's not perfect yet I'm still look I I, I could be a little pessimistic I'm like hey you know kind of wish some of the stuff wasn't on weekdays or hey I kind of wish we had one weekend game or I kind of wish the final was on broadcast tv but at the end of the day you know baby steps here, it's looking a little better on that scheduling. And, you know, it's, it's another thing, too, where just in just two weeks, we're going to see the first team qualify for the competition when we crown a national amateur champion, and one of our locals is in that tournament right now. So 
who in two weeks, like we'll have a team who can start marking their calendars for when they go on their cup run. Absolutely. And who is that team, by the way, if I can ask? That is Lansdowne Yonkers FC. They are the Region 1 champion for both the National Amateur Cup and the Werner Fricker Amateur Cup. And they're going to Chicago between August 7th and 8th to play uh, Cal FC, uh, Springfield FC of Illinois, and uh, Nashville United of Tennessee. That is amazing. Of course, uh, Lansdowne uh, Yonkers, those Lansdowne boys over uh, just above the border of New York City in the Bronx. Uh, that's like my backyard back in the day there, uh, Michael, because I'm a Bronx boy, and uh, uh, it's always great to go visit Yonkers whenever you get the chance. You go past McLean Avenue, and you just have to cross the street going a little north. So that's going to be awesome. Here's the scheduling, everybody. Uh, for those that are not aware of, <laughs> excuse me, Michael, you can go ahead. Uh, for uh, the qualification rounds for the uh, semi-pro teams, what is that schedule if you have it on you? If not, I can always rattle it off. Well, I don't have the exact dates, but I can tell you right now that uh, if you want to get the exact dates of what I'm talking, uh, deadline to apply is uh, August 9th, or yeah, August 9th at like 2 p.m. Central Time. After that, the first games are going to be in September for the first qualifying round second qualifying round is going to be in October and third qualifying round is going to be in November. And if it's necessary, depending on how many teams apply, there could be a fourth qualifying round in December. Uh, and I know this weekend, I know this date off the top of my head and that's December 18th through 19th. Uh, and I know that because I'm petrified of having to go to, uh, going to John top or having to go to St. Uh, going to New York city Christmas week to watch soccer with the freedoms or whoever makes it that far. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's going to be very interesting. And so far at the moment, uh, as like you've already said about December, uh, September 23rd will be the matchups for the opening round. And the opening round will be in September the 18th and 19th. Second round will be the October 16th and 17th, November the 20th and the 21st. And as Michael said about December, um, those dates coming near Christmas time. It should be interesting who will be Scrooge and who will be Santa. So we'll find out then. But, uh, of course, the full schedule in 2022, January 6th will be the open division birth, um, if I can read, allocation announcement. The draw will be on January 19th. And then, of course, uh, the second round pairings will be announced on January 26th. And then it all starts in March between the 22nd and 23rd, just before the final three matches of World Cup qualifying for the U.S. men's national team. Uh, and then the second round proper matches will be on April 5th through the 7th. And then we get back uh, the third round draw on April the 8th. And then the third round proper will be April 19th through the 21st. And that is, of course, half of the MLS clubs that did not make the playoffs will start in the third round. Then we get to the fourth round draw on the 22nd of April just before my birthday. May 10th and 11th will be the fourth round uh, match. Uh, the rest of MLS will be in it. The fifth round draw for May 12th was a round of 16. And then the matches will be on May 24th and the 25th. Quarterfinals will be June 21st and 22nd. Semifinal draw and the host draw of the final will be on the 23rd of June. July 26th or 27th, you, semifinals of the Open Cup. And either the week of 6th and the 7th of September or the 13th and the 14th, 
will be the Open Cup final, depending on which week they're going to do it in September. That is a lot of time between July and September, Michael. Nothing in August at all. Nothing in August. It's amazing to see how U.S. soccer, obviously the commissioner of the Open Cup, Paul Marstaller, and his Open Cup committee has really put this schedule together and brought back a full Open Cup schedule. Yeah, no, it's 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 a, it's a, it's nice to see it happen. And like you said, it's baby steps to like it being totally streamlined. I never think it happens in other countries where there's a big gap between games, especially in the later rounds. But I do think that you, it's 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 not as bad as what's going on with the champ with the Concacaf Champions League this year, where Philly Union like wins their quarterfinal match. Uh, earlier this year, and then they have to wait till September to play in their semifinal. We're not that bad yet, and I think it's totally understandable that like it has to be a little space. But it's overall, it's not that spacing out of games, especially for amateur clubs. If they do go far, they can plan some stuff out. Yeah, they really do, and it's just wonderful to see this happen. And of course, I can't wait to get back to my Open Cup review shows because. I'm missing doing those on Fridays, man. Those were the best. I always think, you know, you you always give those opportunities to those clubs that win in the opening rounds an opportunity to discuss their club, how they played, and then prepare them for, of course, their next opponent in the next round. So I'm just excited and happy. And I know many people, like you've said, they are – they're thinking the Open Cup, after a great um, a, making these changes and making everything to be more, like as you said, streamlined, that removing what was working the last editions, you know, kind of put a damper on the situation. But in reality, you can't blame the federation because of a pandemic that's just been so difficult to manage to get these tournaments on you know underway and you know be as beautiful as it can be there is also the point that i hear a lot of teams especially in usl league 2 usl league 2 say where this was even going on before the pandemic but going into 2020 how they were trying to start the tournament more early and that was going to affect teams on how they can use their NCAA-affiliated uh, players. And as certain po- and that was even before the pandemic, but the tournament is trying to shift more to, I don't want to say, like, leave these teams, like, you know, up the creek with no paddle, but they can't just cater to teams who only play in the summer when the tournament's got to start, you know, in the spring. And it's going in a new direction. It's going in a direction, and – it's nice. It is interesting to see what changes they make, both regarding scheduling, regarding regarding how the tournament is laid out with the MLS being cut in half when it, where it enters. You're seeing, you know, a little give, a little take, and I do think that's healthy to see. Is it perfect? No, but I'd rather have some changes than get stale and people get annoyed. You know. Mm-hmm. Oh, I understand it completely, Michael, and I'm just glad that things are going to get better in 2022. Thank you, as always, for coming on the show uh, when uh, you're able to come on. And I appreciate it, and I'll talk to you again soon, all right? All right. You have a good night, all right? And thanks for having me.
Thank you for coming on the show, and I'll talk to you soon. That's Michael Batista, not just Red Bulls uh, Nation with New York Sports Nation, but also the Cup.us covering the U.S. Open Cup from start to finish. Joining me now, a brand new guest on this show. He covers New York City FC for a website called The Outfield, and he's been covering the situation involving New York City FC's stadium issues. And it's Chris Campbell joining me tonight. Chris, good evening, and how are you? Doing well. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you very much for coming on the show tonight. So, listen, obviously, and yes, I do cover the New York Red Bulls, but the truth of the matter is this, is that I have been very upset on how this situation with a hopefully a stadium for New York City FC does come to fruition because as much as I am aware of how much New York City FC supporters every time there's news of a potential stadium deal being made it gets thrown away and gets tossed into the East River why has it been such a difficult time for this club to get a deal done, cement it, stamp it, and start digging the shovels. Yeah, and and so I, I think the the first easy answer is it's the New York City real estate market, um, and, and so you know you start from there. But it, it gets more complicated because um, because everything's on top of each other. There's just generally a lot more players involved. So. Um, you know, now in the with the Bronx site that the club is looking at, um, you know, you're not only looking to get certain government approvals and you know have to sign off and n- know that you know you're going to get support from city council and the mayor, but you're also looking at having to decommission a uh, a federal highway ramp. So you're talking about getting you know the um, federal Department of Transportation involved. Um, you're talking about relocating an elevator manufacturing company. And um, now the, 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 bit, the latest holdup is, is um, these parking garages and ultimately making sure that uh, the Yankees are, um, are satisfied and well covered with the parking needs that they need while still being able to now supply the land um, that is needed for the stadium. So, you know, it's, it's all those things together, but, you know, the, the last one and, and the one that's made the news um, most recently has been that last bit about the parking garages. Now, uh, speaking about the parking garage, and of course I am from the Bronx and I am a Yankee fan, so I am very familiar with the area. Um, That parking garage, as far as I can remember since I was born, not, of course, when the stadium was originally the stadium back in 1923. (laughs) I wish. (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) I mean, that parking garage has been there for a very, very long time. Where the original stadium was after its refurbishment, of course, in the uh, early to mid-70s, that parking garage has been there for a very, very long time. It was adjacent from the right field slash first base entrances uh, to Yankee Stadium. And since moving over to the other side of East 161st Street and River Avenue... um, that's been basically an eyesore for a very, very long time. Why has that been such a challenging uh, situation for the club? And why has that area been you know, even more challenging at all? Has it been complaints from the neighborhood? Has it been complaints 
all the way to City Hall, the people who run the GAL Corporation, the Elevator Parts Corporation that is in that area next to the old site? You, no, it's, it's actually it's actually none of those items. So, um, so you know, first, you know, dealing with GAL, you know, there's an agreement in place, um, and I don't know the details about it, but there's an agreement in place for the developers to acquire the, the GAL site. Um, and GAL has been looking to, to relocate, um, whether that's going to be in the Bronx or elsewhere is still to be determined. Um, but that piece of it is actually squared away. The, the parking garages is the local community um, knows that they're not productive. The, these parking garages are, are heavily under, underutilized. Um, you know, even the, the highest occupancy that these parking garages have had for a Yankee or NYCFC game day, and, Yan- and you know, the highest occupancy will be for a Yankee game day since the whole stadium will be open, was just over 60%. So all of these garages are, are there, were, were there to support Yankee Stadium. And, and I know the one at the linchpin is the one that you're talking about, but there's other garages that are part of this, this uh, Yankee Stadium parking system. Um, you know, the, the most they've ever been used in one day was over 60%. So, you know, it's a lot of unused land, underutilized land that um, is really unproductive to the community. It's not providing, you know, really any, um, any tax revenue. Um, you know, there's no uh, retail or anything else that's, you know, providing jobs or anything like that. And, um, and ultimately, you know, uh, the, the company that's, that's operating them is massively in debt. Um, they, you know, took out uh, over $200 million of bonds, and, and um, those look very uncollectible right now. Um, the company is not even making money um, each year. They're falling further and further into the red, and they haven't paid the city, you know, a single dollar in their, uh, in their uh, payments in lieu of taxes or rent. So um, having this solution here is really going to be, you know, uh, is, is really going to allow something productive to occur. So the local community Surprisingly, in, in today's kind of uh, NIMBY world, the local community um, appears to, to in the uh, overall, seems to be in support of this project. No, that's great to hear. Now, I have to ask you, this is an article I was looking at. Um, this is from Charles uh, Gasparino. He works yep. at Fox Business, <clears throat> excuse me, about how uh, – New York City, Nuvin, strikeout with Yankees over new soccer stadium and hotel retail development. Uh, I'm assuming you've read that article, too, from Gasparino. You know, what, what is when, – when you read about this, about the parking situation and, you know, with the garages like you just said, and, and yep. you know, depending on which side – I don't know who was the one that screwed who over, but – is it troublesome to know that the city government, including – and I will say it, I'm not a fan of Mayor Bill de Blasio running New York City. I think he has destroyed the city. I'll be honest with you there. Yep. And uh, I think people have informed you probably about their opinions about him as well <laughs> as mayor. Um, I mean ever since the Bill de Blasio took over as the mayor of New York City, do you feel – that while he claims that early on at the time maybe he was caring about giving the club a, a stadium at that time of his the start of his administration, do you feel like he's been a nuisance to this project? I I think in the early days, yes. I've I've heard from several different people I've I've spoken to in different capacities that are have you know touched the project in some way that 
um, you know, he killed the original deal that was, that was put in place in 2013. Um, it's the same location, and, and the stadium was going to be there, and he killed it. Um, now, um, that said, and um, I'm in the same boat with you in terms of, uh, you know, I, I don't really care for de Blasio at all. He's actually not the one who's um, being any thorn in the side. Um, you know, uh, Randy Levine, the, the Yankees president, um, and along with the, de- the development company, Mad Equities, wanted to bring a vote, um, the vote that was supposed to happen in June, um, that was really going to kind of kickstart the whole thing. They wanted to bring it in June in order to make sure that this would get like onto Bill de Blasio's desk before we have a new mayor. So, you know, there's an understanding that de Blasio at this current juncture supports this project. Um, so, you know, that is, um, you know, that is one of the items where, you know, I, I, would have to kind of somewhat hand it to de Blasio in terms of a coming around to supporting a project that would be so, um, so instrumental to the revitalization of the South Bronx. Now um, the issue is it's, and it, it really is, is kind of a, um, a very complicated issue that I'm, I'm still working tirelessly to track down and, and I hope to have a new article um, out on this, hopefully within the next week or so. But a week before Gasparino's article there, you can, you can see that our, we had a, an article at theoutfield.substack.com that basically um, uh, details what happened during the June community board meeting with the, uh, with the Bronx Community Board 4. Um, so I've been attending these meetings since, uh, since May of 2019. And, um, and basically um, the, the, uh, the city, through New York City Economic Development Corporation, decided to pull the vote because the Yankees and Mad Equities were looking to change terms um, to, the, uh, uh, to the term sheet that was notionally agreed upon. Um, and so um, this vote was for the community board to vote on those terms. The, uh, from what I've heard, the Yankees were looking to change some of those terms. Um, I'm still looking to confirm some of those details exactly, what, what those are, um, and, and hope to provide an update on that. But ultimately, um, there's, there's a there appears to be a disagreement between the city and the Yankees um, into some specifics on the terms. And I think the most frustrating thing is these terms, you know, the Yankees and Mad Equities, they put these terms together back in December. Um, And so, um, you know, the city is telling me that they're ready to go based on the terms that are there. Um, The Yankees are saying the same thing as well, but there still seems to be a disagreement in terms of the specifics. And, you know, it's guys, it's, 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 July 2021 now, if, if these were drafted in, in December 2020, that, that should have been figured out. Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, this is getting ridiculous by the day and by the month. Um, there has been an updated article. I forget where it was from. I know Glenn Crooks is the radio uh, analyst for NYCFC, uh, put it out there that um, Sheikh Mansour, who is the owner, of course, of Manchester City, also the owner of the MLS club and NYCFC, 80% ownership. Of course, the Yankees, the 20%. He has now borrowed, uh, I believe it's over, and if you can correct me if I'm wrong, it's okay. I think it's over 400, over $600 million from yep. several banks. And one of those projects is to get the stadium deal done or get the stadium built uh, in New York City for uh, NYCFC as MLS club. Um, I, I mean, I understand he doesn't want to use any of his money. Maybe he's had some issues financially with his businesses. I'm not quite sure, but that would be my assumption. But still, though, um, wouldn't it be better for him to have taken the reins? I know the Yankees probably told him, we'll take care of this deal. Don't worry about it. But 
do you feel maybe he should have been the one that came over to New York City to get these deals done? You know, um, I, I don't necessarily think so. Um, and it's on two different levels. One, um, dealing with the Yankees and part of this is, was, was always going – with this particular location was always going to be mandatory – um, because uh, the Yankees, uh, based on this parking facilities agreement, they are um, slated to basically have a little over 9,000 parking spots available to them for each Yankees game. So anything that was, was to happen here would have required a Yankees sign-off. Um, so, um, you know, that was always going to be in the cards. Um, now, in terms of uh, how involved, you know, Sheik Mansur was going to get into this, you know, I think that – I think that was probably more of a strategic decision. Um, you know, uh, a lot of people, um, you know, here in the, in the U S in, in New York city, you know, are kind of wary about um, some of the, you know, some of the uh, human rights violations that, that, you know, those countries are, are involved in it. And I think that um, a very high profile negotiation um, with, you know, someone of that stature from um, it, it probably would not have looked very good. And I think it would, would have been a lot more difficult to drum up support here locally. How much frustration have you heard from the supporters? Obviously, <laughs> look, I, I can understand. I mean, look, let's be honest here. You know, they've been told there's going to be a stadium deal. As I've said already, um, you know, it's been there. It's been pulled. It's been there. It's been pulled. It's been there. It's been pulled. Timetable-wise, do you think we're finally going to see a stadium deal being done, T's crossed, I's dotted, or do you fear, and I'm being honest here, do you fear that this club, if they don't get a stadium deal, do you feel they could be sold and moved somewhere else? You know, I I don't think that... that um that that really would, would be happening. Um, you know, I, I mm-hmm. think that we're not too far off from this thing finally getting pushed through. Um, you know, this project makes way too much sense for so many different people that, you know, I think it has to happen. And I think this thing is going to be done before the 2026 world cup. Um, there's just, there's just too much involved and it's, it's not only going to would be too huge for the, the club and getting that, you know, getting that world cup bump, um, with the stadium, but it's, it would be massive for the local community there as well, that it's just, there are, this is too important for all sides that it just has to happen. And I think that at the end of the day, you know, uh, the, the, the different sides are going to come together and figure this out because like I said, it's, it's, it's too monumental. It needs to happen. I think, you know, the club lately has been saying that they need to revisit, you know, all of their options, perhaps look elsewhere. I think a lot of that is posturing in order to terms of, uh, you know, guess like you know for lack of a better term threaten that they're willing to go elsewhere but I, I, I this is still where they want to be and i think it's ultimately going to happen it's just a matter of time all right well we'll see what happens and like i said look i want to see i look this league it can no longer be in stadiums either it's a college football stadium uh baseball stadiums any stadium that's not made for the game you know got to Got to build stadiums meant for this game that we all love. And um, I really do hope it does work because it's time to start moving forward and not having to worry about when the next shoe is going to drop. And, 
you might get sucker punched from behind, and you don't even know who's going to do it. I think we all know this. Politics is a dangerous game, and it also includes building a stadium. So hopefully this project will commence, it will happen, and uh, we don't have to worry about all this stuff anymore. But, Chris, I appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on, um, and all I can say is good luck, and if you get more <laughs> updates, please let me know. Please let me know if you get more updates, and I'll bring you back on, Chris. Thank you very much. Yes. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem. You have a good night. You as well. All right. Chris Campbell from the outfield, also part of Blue City Radio, and uh, on the situation with New York City FC's stadium project, and we'll see what happens moving forward. Um now about the Red Bulls. Uh, Gerhard Struber not happy with the draw at Toronto and definitely not happy about the performance at D.C. United losing a goal to nil. First, the 1-1 draw. Great goal by Patrick Lamala, who found a way on a second attempt, third attempt altogether because of the original shot being stopped on Fabio. And then he gets two bites of the apple, and then it's in. Um, they played an excellent 90 minutes, or shall I say probably 60 to 75 minutes until uh, that equalizer was allowed to go in. But they got a result, and they got a point on the road. But then everything fell apart when they went to our nation's capital to take on D.C. United, and they just did not play well. Um, they just were on their heels, maybe a decent are unbeaten in four at Audi Field, six altogether with the last two years, with the last two visits of RFK Stadium before moving to Audi Field about three years ago, three, four years ago. And um, now, you know, there's a situation for the Red Bulls right now that they got to refocus. Still plenty of time for them to refocus and get back on track. But unfortunately, getting that draw at Toronto was a bit of a setback. And then the real setback hit when they had that loss against D.C. United. D.C. United, all they did was just sit back, try to counter. They took advantage of a poor pass by Kyle Duncan to go all the way back towards uh, Amro Tarek. And then he gets stripped. Julian Gressel on the attack. On the trailer was Ola Kamara. And on that quick cross, Ola Kamara buried the ball past Carlos Coronel. Not his fault at all. And it's 1-0 DC, and that's all it was. Yes, they had some moments late in the second half to try and get a late equalizer, but still it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. And for DC United, they get their first win over the Red Bulls at Audi Field their first win in their last six to seven matches. This is what happens when it's hate DC week and you can't bury the ball past Bill Hamid, who basically was not challenged enough. Made a big save in the second half, but in reality was not challenged enough. And this is where the New York Rebels need to do better. They need to get on their horse and they need to go out and challenge harder. 
They have to. Now, like I said, there's still plenty of time for them to climb the ladder, but I think we all know that while we have seen some of the talent on this club for the New York Red Bulls, it has to come together. Confidence has to come together as well. So until then, at this point in time, a rebuilding phase is not good, but to be honest, at the moment, this is all you got. So until the Red Bulls can do better at this point in time, it's just a situation where I believe that they must get out there and they got to trudge on. They're going to face New England for the final time, first time against them at Red Bull Arena this upcoming weekend. It's going to be an interesting match, but we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen, and it's just something that there's nothing to do about it. you got to go out there, and you're just going to have to fight off against a side that is going to be dangerous. Very, very dangerous, without a doubt. Obviously, they don't have Tejon Buchanan at the moment, but they might come. He might come back, depending on what happens. Uh, if they lose their match to Mexico in the semifinals of the Gold Cup for Canada, they don't have Matt Turner. Who knows what's going to happen? Maybe uh, USA will not make it out of the semifinals against uh, Qatar, and or if they do, they'll he'll be going on to the final. So we're just going to have to wait and see. But no matter what, New England Revolution will always be dangerous due to the man who is their manager and their sporting director in Bruce Arena. That man will always be the one that continues to be the driving force to make those clubs the best in MLS, no matter where he has gone, no matter what he has done in the past. He's won titles with DC United. He's won titles of the LA Galaxy. There's a possibility he's going to help New England finally win that MLS Cup title at the way they've been playing so far in the Eastern Conference. So they got Bill Belichick running the Patriots. They got Bruce Arena running the Revolution. Kraft family is actually doing something big here, and it's going to be interesting to watch. But once again, DC United, that was a terrible loss. Bad performance. Bad moment against Toronto when you switched off, when you should have had the full three points and you only get one. And you had a lead at the start of the second half. We all know injuries has been a big issue right now for this Red Bulls club. Hopefully, they can get most of their pieces back and do better against New England. Other than that, there's nothing more you can say or do and just hope they they can do better. But I want to thank my guests tonight. I want to thank Jason Longshore from 92.9 FM, The Game. Michael Batista, Red Bulls, Sport, Red Bulls Nation from New York Sports Nation. And the Cup.us and Chris Campbell of the Outfield joining me tonight to talk about the NYCFC situation. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Join me Thursday night for USA-Qatar postgame in the 2021 Gold Cup semifinal match. And then... Hopefully, we'll have the Gold Cup final post-match show on Sunday for the United States if they do defeat Qatar. 
Thank you for joining me tonight. Take care. So long, and bye-bye for now. Have a good night, everybody. Take care.